Good morning, it's Sham on the light front page right now. With me is Lokman Haris uh, from Astro Wani. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thanks for having me, Sham. All right, fantastic. So the first story that we're covering today, obviously uh, a follow-up of what has happened. Uh, Education Minister Dr. Mazli Malik has resigned mm. and uh, lots of people have been talking about who's going to replace him. Uh, at the, in the meantime, what we're hearing in the news is most likely uh, our Prime Minister, Tun Dr. Mahathir Mohamad, will be playing the acting as the Education Minister. Now, mm. what we're talking about is what we're asking here. Would the people accept the PM acting in the Education Minister's role? I mean, despite the manifesto's promise, if you remember that no two posts will be held by a minister what do you think? Well the short answer is no because yes if you treat the manifesto like a bible uh, you should probably uh, then people would just say no because that's the promise and the promise literally would have been broken but if you kind of take a longer view on that you kind of think of the bigger picture yes it was an election promise it was a manifesto promise and by right they have to follow it I understand if there are some people who are aggrieved that they if they go against the manifesto but sometimes the right thing is the difficult thing to do sometimes the right thing is the thing that might not seem right at first but over the long term may, you, you may discover that it is the, the, the right decision I think there are other qualified candidates but if Dr. Mahade chooses to make himself education minister I wouldn't object to it so sternly because I think he has a very good record I think he has a very good vision because I think I've mentioned this before I think the better thing for a government to do any government is for them to realise if they've made mistakes to admit their mistakes and try to correct upon them along the way they realise hey you know what I think probably it was a bit rash to promise that the Prime Minister can't hold another portfolio because in this instance it may be better then, then go you know, better route I think it's the better thing to do although it's a difficult thing to do so I wouldn't be against it if you take a longer view on this issue I think I understand where you're coming from it's just like uh, to put it in simple terms it's like a boss uh, having to fill in a department's uh, head position but he's only um, not the Mahdemama who has only a few more years in this position either by you know the end of the term or by uh, once he hands off to the next PM or uh, the next education minister and he might put changes in the education system but we're asking are the changes going to stay? I mean, historically, there has been constant changes in the education system. BM to English, English to BM in certain subjects. It has changed so many times. With the constant change, how detrimental would these changes be to our children, you think? I mean, if, if there are monumental major changes uh, that are made like every other term or every term, they, they would be, you know, damaging to our students, to our kids because of the lack of consistency, lack of continuity. But I think if you go back on the records, Cham, I think, um, yes, there have been major changes, flip-flops and, you know, back and forth, uh, PPSMI, English to Malay. and um, But I think for the most part, the biggest or the bigger education policies, the core education policies, they've stayed pretty much the same. So, so they have they have not been so volatile over the years, despite governments changing or ministers changing or prime ministers changing. There have been some exceptions, but I do think um, whoever takes over, even if the government changes in the future, um, I don't think there will be fundamental changes to uh, the foundations that we've set. Maybe the little things. So I wouldn't worry too much. But the more important thing is to do the right thing and to find the right candidate for the job. If it is Dr. Mahathir at this point in time, at least, then if they do not, or, or if the public, or if Dr. Mahathir himself opts out, 
uh, be, just because it's an election promise, despite him being the best candidate, I think I think it will be a pity. Now, why would a state disagree to the water tariff hike? I'm, I'm trying to wonder here. Well, why would they disagree to this? Well, even the Minister Dato Dr. Xavier also did not explicitly say why there was opposition from states. So actually, for now, a state, which is Negeri Sembilan. But right. I think on top of my mind, the logical reason that comes to my mind is that the state doesn't want to impose higher water tariffs upon its citizens or people living in, in that state. I guess you could say that probably, the skeptics would probably say that it's for political mileage. Right. But if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, I do think they genuinely care for people living in the state and they don't want, I mean, a bit higher, the burden of higher cost of living. Uh, they want to try and fight this to ensure that the rates or the tariff for a basic necessity, which is water, uh, at least stays the same this year. Right, yeah, because everybody, we <laughs> naturally, as human beings, we would want to pay higher for anything, really. Of course. So, so if we could uh, not pay something at a higher price, hey, good. But uh, sometimes I do feel uh, the need for a hike in certain things. But we also question, what's the point of increasing the water tariff if uh, we're still going to be interrupted by water disruptions <laughs> a few times in a year? Look, like I said before, in 2019, this make a few headlines. My house was affected. A few other right. friends suffered not showering right. in the morning <laughs> as well. So why, I mean, what's the point of increasing water tariff hike, you think? I, I, I definitely know how you feel bro because I, I live in Slangor I've been living in Slangor for the longest time and we have been the victims of the worst water disasters I like to call them disasters yes <laughs> so it really is cumbersome but I mean as far as, far as I'm angry about that uh, to be fair most of the time um, the the the, the water shortage crisis has only hit Slangor. Usually it's Slangor. So this water tariff hike is actually for the whole of Malaysia. And for Slangor, I do hope they take care of the problem because I've always been been perplexed by the fact that, you know, we are a developing nation, hopefully to become a developed nation very, very soon. Yeah. Um, but we have trouble getting the most basic necessity that even people in the worst of countries could get easily, which is water. It's a basic human right. Yeah. Right? So why do we still have this problem but that's another topic for another day but I think yes this is for countrywide uh, this is a countrywide initiative and it's to stem I believe um, the high cost of providing fresh water to all of us you and me in your opinion uh, Lokman what would be the right thing for Jolo to do it should be really simple if he's confident that he's right he would have a lot of proof he would have documents he would have, you know, records of conversations and what have you to prove his innocence. So we have the proper legal channels for anyone to uh, defend him or uh, herself in this country. So if he is confident that he's right and he's being victimized and he's being made the scapegoat for a few issues, show up and show all your proof and defend yourself in the court of law. We have a legal due process that you can go through. That everyone has the same right to go through and uh, do it officially. Absolve yourself officially. It's really simple. That is the right thing to do. We have the mechanisms. We have uh, uh, all the controls in place to ensure a fair trial, to ensure that if you are right, then you will be um, cleared by the law. I don't think he can run forever. Maybe he can, but it will be exhausting to live a life like that, even though you have a yacht and helicopters and planes and whatnot. But we have a legal system that can clear people if you are sure that you are right. So in Malay, we have that saying, Berani kerana benar, right? Yeah. So that's the right thing they should do. I don't know. Is this like a way for him to try and say that he's innocent, he's a victim, and um, 
he's trying to get some sort of attention that maybe if he gives in, he will get some sort of a leeway in terms of where the justice system is is concerned. I I just believe he's trying to control the damage in terms of the perception. He's right. trying because that's I think that's the only thing that he can do. This is probably the only thing he can do at this point. He's trapped to a certain extent. So what he can do, or at least what he can do easily and quickly at this point in time, because he can do it from wherever, is try to control and correct the perception of him, not just in Malaysia. But the world over, so things like in the email interviews, he can just do at that anytime, anywhere. So he's trying, he's trying, but it's a bit of an uphill battle because the best way to correct the perception, or if you want to call it misperception against you, if that's what he thinks, is again go through the proper channels. Uh, right, moving forward. So when it comes to the question, where is Jolo? We still don't know. Um, whether we're getting close to it, we still whether we're getting close to getting him or not. Uh, so I guess we we're gonna have to stick around and see what develops after this when it comes to looking for uh, the billionaire fugitive Joe Lowe and a question is that we're asking today Lukman is should we really be comparing to other countries that is doing badly instead of concentrating on our own country uh, no Sham but I think to be fair in the economy and in this instance it's not so much comparing our country with other countries that are doing badly or poorer than us but it's comparing our economy with uh, regional economies which is a very common practice in economics as a whole Right. so it's very common for us to compare compare our economy with um, uh, Southeast Asia, with Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, all that's a developed nation and a bunch of other developing nations. So I think that's always a healthy benchmark. And to be fair, I think I mean, a lot of the people who follow business news or maybe even the general public often hear this, but um, uh, the bulk of the problems of our economy are come from external factors. You know, the global economy is slowing down. You've got a Donald Trump trade war. So all these things would slow down the global economy because investors are afraid. They are afraid to move their money around so developing nations and open economies like Malaysia would, would suffer I do think this this year would be slightly better than last year it will not be uh, rosy or peachy because that will take time because on the global front there's a lot of things going on economically but I do think it's better and it's a normal practice to compare ourselves against regional peers Alright and of course government is putting efforts uh, to try and uh, make our economy better and mm-hmm. one thing that we hear a lot these days is the you know e-wallet programs as well I think they have some sort of a stimulus package as well for that Uh, But apart from e-wallet programs, in your opinion, what are other government initiatives that could help with the economy? Well, for one, they have decided to postpone the petrol subsidy program, which is good because that program would see an increase in petrol prices for most of us except the B40. So that would be quite a financial challenge for most of uh, the M40. And you've got the free breakfast program that kicks off this year, uh, one of the Masli legacy. We've got um, the increase in minimum wage to a thousand. 200 ringgit in 57 major cities. We've go- even got you know EPF and SOXO starting this year for people who work in the arts. We've got um, uh, free injections of pneumococcal for babies. So all this, there are, there are a bunch of, there are a ton of you know um, small or medium-sized initiatives that I believe could help to alleviate. So uh, there are a bunch of measures I think that would help ease the financial burden of the B40 and the M40 this year. But I think um, this year would be slightly better.
better economically than last year. Oh, I think I'm I'm with you on that, but I'm also a realist. Meaning, if uh, someone says it's going to take time, I understand what that means. <laughs> it's going to take time. We're talking about the, within the thousands fine for the restaurant owners, or about 254 smokers who are found smoking, yeah. uh, who are against the ban. But what we're also asking here: this kid, a 12-year-old, found with in possession of cigarettes, got 50 ringgit fine. That is like a slap in the wrist. Where you know he probably go to dad. Um, I got fine for holding a cigarette, and I'm assuming that would, would give him an earful. But after that, let's just pay the fine. There's not much deterrent. What we're doing here is we were asking priorities over here. I mean, underage child smoking, underage child smoking, or the smokers who violated the smoking ban. I mean, those who violated smoking ban, 250 underage child smoking is 50 ringgit only. It's yeah. such a small amount, and we're talking about children smoking. Yeah, you know what do you think about that? But we're finding the children, right? I mean, I mean, I, I do understand your point, Sham. But uh, I mean, if you want to increase the amount of fines for children, I I do, I do think that's uh, quite something. But uh, the parents should take more responsibility. By the way, that claiming that that's his dad's cigarette—that's like the age-old excuse. Yeah, that's yeah. like the go-to, <laughs> yeah. the go-to excuse. But nevertheless, I think parents should bear uh, the brunt of the responsibility. In fact, 100% of responsibility. We should hold them more accountable. Well, impose harsher penalties, impose higher fines on the parents because at the end of the day, those are minors and that's your responsibility. We have made an offence out of a lot of things including parents' negligence, leaving kids, you know, in cars, uh, in car seats in cars and all those things. We have made those an offence. So I shouldn't see why this should not be considered an even greater offence. They should be made to pay for their uh, negligence because this is their responsibility. The parents should take the responsibility. All right. And what do you think should be done to deter underage Charles from smoking? That's smoking. the age-old question, isn't it? That's like the million-dollar question. Mm. I mean, no one really knows because we've tried everything. We've tried science. We've tried, you know, gross horror pictures on cigarette boxes. We've tried advertisements. We've tried, you know, subtle messaging in all these other products and uh, lessons in schools. But I think this problem never goes away. Not just for Malaysia, but for the world over. I think if you get an answer to that, I think you're you're a parent as well, Sham. Yeah. And um, I would love. To hear whether you've got an answer to that question, because I'm still finding one, actually, to be honest. Yeah, well, when it comes to authority, I'm guessing that you know stepping up like higher fines and actually, if you impose higher fines mm. or to the parents, for example, or to the shop owners, for example, then you also need to enforce it. You got to make sure it happens so that it becomes a message to others. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Lokman Haris uh, from Astro One, for being with us this morning.